You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Our core lead-up text uh, for this year is Psalm 78, 70 through 72. This is what I've been preaching on uh, since the beginning uh, of January. It says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him up to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands, he led them. And last week, we did a little bit more of a deep dive into all of our sheep pens. And today, we're going to dig into um, the next lead up principle integrity of heart. I began the series, uh, by the way, today's service is sponsored by Page High School and their track team. Um, there's some Page grads or some Page families in here. Um, so I began the series talking about that there were three, at least how I identified it, three main hurdles for us leading up to, to change and, and, and grow in our spiritual leadership. The first hurdle I mentioned was that Satan opposes all God movement. So this height, this is uh, 33 inches, and this height is for um, junior high boys and I think uh, senior high girls. And it's interesting that the way I wrote these hurdles, I didn't necessarily see them as being progressive until I decided to borrow a hurdle, and I see them this way. All God movement is going to be opposed. Just write it down. Anytime we move closer to Christ, we step into more things of Christ, we step into spiritual leadership with Christ, there's gonna be opposition. So how do we, how do we engage that opposition? How do we counter that opposition? One, we talked about the fast, right? This is, um, we, next Sunday ends our 21-day window of fasting as a congregation. By all means, it's not the only time you can fast. It's not the only time we can fast as a congregation. But we set aside for 16 years, we've set aside the first uh, 21 days or, or thereabouts in January to fast. I talked about how fasting empties ourselves and that p- provides an opportunity to fill us with Christ can't explain that to you. I don't understand why that's, why that's true, I, it, but it has proven true in my life, and it's a biblical concept that Jesus even puts forward as a discipleship um, principle. Um, next Sunday, uh, I'm going to circle back to Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to look at um, how God answers prayer at the end of fasts, in, in the middle of fasts, and we're going to pray for the needs of the people as, long, as well as baptism on next Sunday, um, uh, that's what next Sunday looks like. I also talked about um, journaling. Um, there are some journals left. Uh, it's it's not that you know we're selling journals because um, we don't charge uh, what they cost. It just happens to be my favorite journal. I can. W- my pen doesn't bleed through. I can fold it in half. Every journal we purchase, they, uh, the publishing company here publishes a Bible and a least reach language. So it's a win-win all the way around. There's still some of those left. I have found that when I write my prayers, um, that's been good for me, that when I write out my prayer, I kind of stay on point with that. Um, I kind of know what to circle back to. So that's just the one way I use mine. I will take notes when I'm at different places. I'm hearing different people speak. I bring, this stays with me. I actually stays in my briefcase when I'm reading my Bible. Otherwise, I take my journal with me. The last piece we leaned into was what we called Life 180. 
gave out several hundred of those cards of breaking down the New Testament into 40 days reading and then the Old Testament into 140 days reading, believing that when we spend 180 consecutive days or at least even 180 days in the Word over the course of a year, it will change you. It's transformative. I even produced a coin. Um, this coin, Tyler, it's, verify, it's not chocolate. It's a real coin, right? Decent, huh? Yeah. Not everybody is going to be impressed by the coin, but I, I, I am. And um, because it, it's significant that when you spend uh, that kind of time, what, here's what it does. It's about seven or eight chapters. Some of you that started it, you may be about through with the Gospels. Um, once you start moving past the Gospels, you can read it faster. So Saturday, Jean and I were reading, she was reading where she was. I was a couple days ahead of her when I started. And she was like, how are you done? And I said, how many, how many verses in the chapter you're reading right now? I think she was in Luke or something. She said, 70. And I said, mine is in Romans and I had 25, right? And so, it, but it's amazing for me what it does. It forces me to slow down. It forces me to slow down. A lot of times I read scripture, I'm blowing and going, right? Here's my chapter, here's my verse. I'm just getting after it. This makes me slow down. And it's amazing what you can see and hear when you slow down. How, how do we combat, how do we clear a hurdle that when we're called to move closer to Christ and we're moving closer to Christ and that's opposed, that movement's opposed, how do you clear that hurdle? It, you have to take more intentional time for God. It, 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 won't, it won't satisfy you when it's drive-by prayers and drive-by reads. You gotta settle, settle in. All right, um, well, the next height is 36 inches, and this is high school boys, um, uh, high, yeah, high school boys. So the faster you go, um, it's, it's an amazing thing watching people. I don't even know why it's a sport, actually, in track. Why would you put something purposely in your place to slow you down when it's the fastest person wins? But this is, this is, the, this is the sport, right? And so this is the next height of hurdle. And here I talked last week about leaders. This is leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. Leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. Last week, I addressed the reluctant leader in Moses. I didn't get to the overlooked leader. I actually will talk about him today, not in that capacity, but was David. I mean, David was the picked last for gym class, right? I mean, this, the prophet shows up and, and asks Jesse to see his, his, uh, his sons, and he doesn't even include David, right? He parades all his other sons in front, and the prophet goes, all you got? I mean, he, there were several in there that Nathan was like, I'm ready to choose that one. And God said, that's not the one I'm choosing. And here comes David out of the sheep pens. And David had an up and down life, man. I mean, like, you talk about spurts and stops and leadership. You think David. I mean, he, kill, he kills a giant and he goes back to the sheep. He gets, he gets, uh, he gets called in to be, uh, you know, a musician for, for the king. And then he gets turned into a warrior and then he's hunted down. And I mean, David's life and his leadership is up and down. There's plenty of opportunities for him to question that. The leaders with the most potential rarely realize it. Here's a passage of scripture. It's a favorite, favorite of mine out of Colossians. It says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of of glory, which means if you've ever said to yourself, I don't have it in me, that is a wrong statement around spiritual leadership. 
Because if Christ is the one inside of us, then there is enough power to, to lead. There are plenty of reasons to disqualify and discredit yourself from spiritual leadership in the six leadership circles we talked about. So I hear voices. Uh, I don't know if, if you hear voices. I hear voices in my head, um, and they're not always nice voices. And so what I wanted to do is I went through these six circles to say, what are the voices that I have heard or that you may be hearing in you as you get challenged to lead spiritual leadership? The first is about around yourself. How do you spiritually lead yourself? What are the voices that you hear? How about this one? I, I am who I am. I can't change, grow, learn, or adapt. I've made as much progress as I'm going to make as a follower of Christ. I just am who I am. I'm doing what I can do and I can't do any more. Are these the voices that you hear? Those are lies. Lies. The enemy lies to keep potential potential and not active. How about in your family? I wonder if you said this to yourself in terms of spiritually leading your family. I have made too many mistakes to overcome. And whether that means from the standpoint of a son and daughter or as a dad or mom, is this the ringing phrase in your head keeping you from leading your family in a new direction, deeper direction or the like? Um, I've just... Uh, it's too much water on the bridge. I've blown that opportunity to lead. One of, the, one of the biggest spiritual and leadership lessons I learned was when I was a new missions pastor. Um, there's a lot to the story, but the bottom line is I felt like I failed a missionary in Ukraine. I adopted, I basically, there were six missionaries when I took over. They didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were. He had a conflict in country. I thought, I'd, I, thought I was doing a good job in helping manage that conflict, but I was too young of a leader to, act, to actually try to figure out why he was having this problem. I was just trying to solve the problem. So he ends up coming off the field I went to my pastor, new in this role, and I said, I'm not very good at this. I really feel like I failed him. Now, he didn't go into a lot of details. He didn't ask me a lot of questions. He said, well, you can pastor him now. <laughs> I went, wow, I can, can't I? I don't have to let what has happened dictate what happens now that he's here. I can pastor him now. And see, I said this a lot, our past can define us, it definitely forms us, I mean, I, I know it's a frame for us, but when you're continually trying to drag your past behind, it will always slow you down. You have the ability to do something differently. You have the ability to respond to things that, that, that differently that you may not have ever responded to differently before. And what the enemy wants you to do, let me talk moms and dads, he, he wants you to just, just settle in in where you have already either blown it or not blown it, but the relationship between, the, between your son and your daughter, it's just, it's just not really, he just wants you to just accept it the way it is. The enemy just wants you to accept it the way it is. Count your, you know, cut your losses, move on. And I'm just telling you, that is not the voice of our father. You can parent from where you are. Sons, daughters, you feel like that you've blown it with your mom and dad. And you're strange and just, it's, just, it's just messy. No, it doesn't have to be. 
I know I can speak in generalities up here. You're the ones mulling through all the specifics. But I'm telling you what God wants in you and leading your family and spiritual leadership from both ways and what the enemy wants are different. He always opposes this. The third is your church. Maybe you've heard yourselves tell you this. I am not qualified. I have nothing to offer. Can't lead up at the church because I am not qualified. I have nothing to offer. Well, let me circle back to what I said just about 30 seconds ago. Colossians 1. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So for you to say that you have nothing to offer and are not qualified as a follower of Christ, you are disregarding the very words of God. <laughs> it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know anybody needs any hope? You got some, okay? So how about the next one, your community? Have you heard this? I'm anonymous with zero current influence. I'm anonymous with zero current influence. I'll just tell you, I have not done a good job in my neighborhood around spiritual leadership. I just haven't. Um, I, do the, I do the Williamson County wave in the wintertime, right? As my garage door goes up and my garage door goes down, right? Do this. I do. Um, I remember I got jumped by my neighbor one time by telling me, he said, you're not a very good neighbor because we didn't tell him he was going out of town. You don't talk when you come home. And I should have received that as, man, I'm not doing a very good job. No, I, I was too sharp-witted for that. I said, do you understand last week I did a funeral and a wedding and a sermon? I, I can't manage all of these emotions and be a nice and talkative neighbor all the time. Now, it was the truth, right? Um, we've had very little conversations uh, that's, uh, since that one, uh, I think. And so, but it's easy to say, you know, um, well, I'm anonymous and I have zero influence. Can, can I help you understand this? Don't bother trying to look for influence. Look for opportunity. Your influence will come from the opportunity. You just look for ways to spiritually lead and serve because God is calling you and puts you in that place. The fourth one, the fifth one is your workplace. I wonder if you have said, I am insignificant, just a cog in the wheel. I'm insignificant, just a cog in the wheel. I'm just, here, I'm just plugging my hours. I just lead the people I'm supposed to lead. I just, I move on. There is no room for spiritual leadership in my company. That's not true. It's not true. And you not having a position or a place to do that from is again, not true. I hate to keep bringing scripture up, but the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered of God. Does that not count between the working hours? I'd say nine to five, but I don't know who works nine to five anymore. So um, the leaders with the most potential really realize it. Here's the last one, the world. I wonder around our world's problems, you say this, or hear this in your head. The problems are too big and I am too small. The problems are too big and I am too small. I would say never underestimate the power of prayer or obedience because it still moves mountains. In fact, I would say the only reason right now that the world is still being held together is because of the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ acts as the body of Christ, we still hold out. Why is God waiting such a long time to return with his son? The word's called grace. It's grace. 
So if he's holding back for grace, we are the grace carriers and barriers and speakers. We, we can't, the world can't afford us burying ourselves in a hole and covering up our faces saying, go away, go away, go away, go away. We're here. This is the world you and I have been planted in. This is the culture we've been planted in. These are the circumstances in which we've been planted in. Okay? So if we've been planted in them, let's grow in them. Let's grow our spiritual leadership in them. So all these six categories, the enemy always wants to keep potential, potential, and it not moving forward. So you have to understand which voices are speaking to you in your head, keeping you on the sideline, and what God's calling you into. And listen, and what he calls us into, he empowers us for, okay? Rarely do you feel, very do you feel enough power to step into these situations. It's not about what we feel. It's about where, where our faith rests, Okay, if, if we're driven by faith, we will overlook and over, go over our feelings, right? We'll push through our feelings. If you're living just by feelings, your feelings will generally keep most people down, all right? So here, here's the last one we're gonna talk about today. This is the collegiate men's 110 meter hurdle. That is 39 inches. I can't even get my leg up there. But I, try, I tried because I didn't want to fall down in front of you uh, and on Sunday morning, and I couldn't, so I'm not going to, okay? That is, that is a high hurdle, and this is the next, the next hurdle I think we have to get over, let's get over, if we're going to lead up, if we're going to, our spiritual leadership is going, to go, uh, is going to increase. So here it is. It's easier to go with the flow than lead a movement. It's easier to go with the flow than lead a movement. Because as soon as you step forward in any type of leadership, here comes criticism. Okay? And then in our culture now, there's another C word that can be used. It's cancellation. Right? So I mentioned this, this, uh, this walk, uh, walk for Life in D.C. Um, TV analyst, NFL analyst, Tony Dungy, who has won a Super Bowl um, as a coach, and he won one as a player, and he has a long history of integrity, has stepped forward to say that he was participating in this march, and he is getting leveled, leveled. But you know who's leveling him? People who do not know Tony Dungy, okay? So he's being labeled right-wing extremist. First of all, you can't change a culture without changing language, okay? So anytime words get redefined, that's an attempt to change culture, okay? So when a guy makes a decision to walk in a 50 anniversary walk to life march instituted by a president in 1984, he is now a right-wing extremist, okay? None of us are exempt from this, folks, okay? But you know, the rest of the people that know Tony Dungy are like, eh, talk to the hand. He still called a game yesterday, right? Because, listen, because people understand who Tony Dungy is, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in a moment, not around Tony Dungy, but in terms of our integrity and how that protects us. But anytime you step out in spiritual leadership, there is going to be criticism. There's going to be an attempt to silence you, all right? And it's always easier just to blend back in the background and go, look, my bad, you know, you do you, I'll do me. But that's not leading anything. And doesn't our world need spiritual leadership? Doesn't your world need spiritual leadership, right? So we can't afford to be knots on a log. We have to begin leading this movement. Um, but don't misunderstand the spiritual temperament 
of a spiritual leader. Don't misunderstand the temperament of a spiritual leader. Most time we talk when we talk leadership and we look at temperament, we see bold, we see brash, we see someone good with words per se, we see a force in nature, and yet that is not what we see in scripture. What we see in scripture around leadership looks like Jesus. And the way Jesus led, now by all means, you know, he was a magnet, but a lot of his magnetism came out of his humility and his service. And so Paul recognized this, and so in Philippians 2, this is what he gives us. I'm gonna read it out of the message. He said, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of, of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of his status no matter what. That's astounding. Not at all. When the time came, he set, his, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, become human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless and obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. This is the epitome of spiritual leadership. If you're afraid of getting hit by the oncoming train when we step out in spiritual leadership, the train's coming. Train's coming. So what is our protection and our guidance and our guard against the oncoming train? David kind of tells us this. When we read Psalm 78, David is in a reflective mode. He's in a reflective mood. He is looking over the course of his life. When you read Psalm 25, Psalm 25, he's also somewhat reflective, but this is probably not too distant future from his egregious sin. I always love the fact that scripture outlines all this to us because it makes our sins look so much more minor in many cases. Um, David has, uh, commits adultery <clears throat> with one of his soldiers' wives. And then to cover up her pregnancy, he has her husband, in, in, in all practical purpose, murdered. And then he wants to go on and live like nothing happened until the prophet comes and challenges him, okay? So this is Psalm 25. I got to Psalm 25. This week was really fun prep for me because I started chasing a rabbit and the rabbit paid off. I, I, I started looking at the word integrity in the Hebrew and it took me someplace that I'm gonna take you here. But listen to Psalm um, 25. Well, before Psalm 25, here's some points I want to give you. First is to recognize that all spiritual leadership growth comes from spiritual discipleship growth. Okay? And I'm going to prove that to you in a minute. But all spiritual leadership growth 
will come from spiritual discipleship growth. Okay? So hold on to that one. How about these two around integrity? It takes a life to build integrity, but it can be lost in a moment. All right, here's the other side note. Sin sneaks, we leak. Sin rarely comes through the front door. It sneaks up on you as your relationship with God leaks. Many years ago, I preached a series of messages on heart drift, on how our heart drifts away from God. Anything left without anchors will just drift, right? Wind, tide, currents, it drifts if it's not anchored. So if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, our life leaks God. And it's never generally very upfront stuff. It just starts climbing in side doors because as we leak, sin sneaks, right? So, so, if, so if this is the father and I'm leaking, what I've done is I've created a lot more space for other things to get, all right? So right here, there may be distance and I've maybe created this distance, but there's still no obstacle between me and the father, but there's distance. But I've given room for obstacles and those obstacles, each one would have to be overcome, right? To get me back into the position of the father. So when we leak, sin sneaks. This is really what's happening to David. He leaked, sin sneaked, he took the bait. But in Psalm 25, we learn what integrity is and how it protects us. Here's the, here's the whole chapter out of the NIV. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do, do not remember my, the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, for you, Lord, are good. I, I love, I wish I had more time in that. It, you notice what David's asking God to do. Actually, it, it's just a reconnection to God's covenant, which is don't look at me through the, for, through the lens of my sins. Look to me through the lens of your love. See, the enemy always wants to think, wants us to believe that we're being viewed through the lens of our sin, our inadequacies, our failures, our, our um, uh, inadequacies, our quirks, and yet the Father, the Father sees us through the love of His Son. That's His lens. Verse 8 Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinner, sinners in His ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them His way. All the ways of the Lord are loving, and all the ways of the Lord are loving. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. There can be no repentance without ownership. Okay? And not many people in our culture today 
um, mirror ownership. That there's not a lot of pattern around ownership, okay? There's a lot of pattern around blame, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, leadership around um, um, deflection, right? Not, not a lot of leadership on ownership, okay? David's owning his stuff. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. You can hear the repentance in David's voice. Look on my reflection and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame for I seek refuge in you. Here, here's the, here's the, the kicker in the verse, verse 21. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. He ends, deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. But key here is may integrity and uprightness protect me, O Lord. Now, when, when, you first, when you first read that, it seems to imply David is asking for his uprightness and his integrity to protect him, right? Because there's, there's no pronouns here. It just seems like it's his. But we know by the context of the chapter, he ain't got none, okay? So this is not what he's relying on. What, he was, what he's relying on, relying on is the uprightness and the integrity of God to protect him. Okay, so in verse eight is where we find that God is the one who is good and upright. So this is how we know the uprightness and the integrity of God is who he is hoping on to protect him. Now the word hope can also be translated there, that Hebrew word can also be translated wait. All right, so we can go back to Isaiah 55, those who wait on the Lord, those hope in the Lord can renew their strength, right? So this is anticipation of what God will do, but it also can be translated or it's used around the idea of, of binding together a rope. All right, so here's a rope out of my garage and this is a frayed end of my rope. Now, it looks like it's just three cords woven together, Right? But Tyler, since I've already picked on you today, there's more than three cords working here, isn't there? I mean, I, I mean, would you even have an estimate of how many? Maybe a hundred threads. Yeah, just individual little fibers here in this in this rope. And so, what what David is asking is, as I bind myself to you. As I bind myself to your uprightness and your integrity, that would protect me. This is discipleship. Discipleship is us binding ourselves together with the Father. So where he stops and I start begins to disappear. Where I start and he stops, gets, disappears. Because what we're after is the other side of this rope 
Now, on most ropes, especially a nylon rope, you have to actually burn the ends together for it to hang, right? Or, in this case, this rope is, is taped at the end. And you can see the difference in lives that are unraveled and those which are bound. Here, you see unravel. You see ravelings. Here, you see rope. So what David is saying in the context of this passage that he is lost in his sin and people are after this king that has blown his integrity. And his answer is, I need and want to be bound with you and I'll trust that that will happen and it's your uprightness and it's your integrity that will protect me. See, now I'm, I don't want to make Tony Dungy into being whoever he's not. He's just a convenient illustration because I saw it on the news. I know nothing a lot about Tony Dungy. But the reason why a bunch of people have blown off what's being said is because they know Tony Dungy. So when I, the reluctance of a leader is when, when, I, when I, I want to be a knot on a log because when I step out to lead a movement, it's not safe. And David's teaching us, when we bind ourselves together with the Father, there's where our protection comes from. People will always say something about someone who takes a stand for Christ in whatever setting in which they take it. It's just coming. It didn't used to be that way. We ain't in Kansas anymore, Right? So, is that going to keep us from leading spiritually and having spiritual influence and making a spiritual impact? Or will we continue to bind ourselves together in Christ? This is the John 15 passage of abiding in Christ. We're going to abide in Christ, be strengthened and changed by Christ. You know, I'd love to, anybody, you remember the um, What Would Jesus Do movement? Right? It was really, really was a good thing right until all the marketers got in, got in charge. Right? And then you could buy, you know, whatever with WWJD on it. I think I do better when I don't see Jesus as my measuring stick. Because when I see Jesus as my measuring stick, I'm measuring my efforts against his deity. And who wins that one? But I think when I see him as my mirror... And I want to look like that. I want to react like that. I want to lead like that. I want to speak like that. I'm not trying to compare my human efforts to his deity. I am binding myself in with his deity. I don't become a deity. You don't become a deity. But we come like him. This looks like a lot of lives. bunch of individual strands by themselves not much of a function but bound together in Christ a lot of function I think Paul had that in mind when he said this in Galatians 2 to this church I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives 
in me. But listen, it goes a little deeper. So the word in verse 20 that's translated guard, the Hebrew word, it means um, like if you would have been a guard of a warehouse, okay, or, or some kind of vast property, you've kind of the gatekeeper. So that's the guard part. But when it gets to 20, verse 21 and he says, protect me, ask the Lord, protect me, it's a, it also can be translated guard, but it's a different Hebrew word and it means like a personal bodyguard. So when he's asking for the uprightness and the integrity of God to protect him, it's not in a general sense. It is in a bodyguard sense. It's like this person is with me. If I'm over here, he's over here. If I'm getting ready to enter a room that hasn't been cleared, that hasn't been deemed safe, bodyguard goes in first. Room's cleared. Come on, you can follow me. A bodyguard goes with me everywhere my body goes. The integrity and the uprightness of God, when we intertwine ourselves with him, it goes with us everywhere. And you start finding out, you start speaking words you would have never spoken before. Having thoughts you never thought of before. Responding in ways you've never responded before, right? Because all spiritual leadership is spiritual discipleship. Every bit of it. The tighter I get with Christ, the stronger my spiritual leadership in my family, in my home, in my church, in my community, in my workplace, in my world. David just shows us. When you look at the word uprightness, it means to be perfectly in tune with God so that all you do is correct and right. And integrity is talking about the, the revealed knowledge of God, the, come on up team, the exact knowledge of God, that we get that as we bind us together. So here's the last note. In the binding process, God's uprightness and integrity protects us and becomes us. Why does spiritual integrity matter? Why does it matter? Because we live in a world with situational ethics and situational integrity. And the simple definitions of those is my situation dictates my ethics. The situation dictates my integrity, okay? So it's always a moving target. And the reason why people have situational ethics and, situ and situational um, integrity is because they're out to protect and promote themselves. And you see where that gets us as a country. And you see where that gets you as a family and as a community and everything else. When, 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 when our integrity is situational, there's failure. When our integrity is spiritual, it's anchored. It's I am who I am, who I am, who I am. You see me here, you see me there, same person. You see me react here, you see me react there, same person. I am who I am, who I am, because I am no longer living just for me or in me, but it is Christ in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to myself and my wants and my aspirations because I trust his wants and his aspirations are greater for me than mine are for me. And what dividends do they pay? More and better life than we would ever dreamed or imagined and more and better influence than we would have ever thought possible because we died to ourselves, and we united ourselves to Christ. 
We need more spiritually influential leaders. And we need them more in the body of Christ. One of my all-time favorite books is one by written by an author named Dr. Mark Rutland. He's been a pretty, pretty strong pastoral inspiration in my life. He wrote a book in 1991. I still have my copy. Um, I actually talked to him about it last week. Um, it's a pretty rough, I dropped it in a puddle. I mean, it's, it's a mess, but I, I've kept it. Um, it's called Hanging by a Thread, written in 1991 now. It still has a prominent place in my bookshelf. Social fabric unravels when biblical virtues are distorted or forgotten. That's the tagline, okay? Now he's written, it's, it was redone, he told me. He said, well, you can send him to my website to buy it. Uh, it's been rewritten 2003, still 20 years ago, under the title Character Matters. Okay, and it's Mark Rutland, drmarkrutland.com. But interesting enough, in the book, in the foreword, which I always read, I read every foreword and introduction, there's a quote by author and evangelist James Robinson. And he said this, it is time for integrity that springs not merely by rule keeping, but from a true intimate relationship with the living God. Salt is not what you do, it is who you are. Our reputations, our character, always beat us into a room, always. I had a professor in, in grad school, post-grad school, Leonard Sweet, prolific writer, um, probably as much of a catalyst for us planning Gateway Church as anybody. I don't know if this was his quote, but it's the first time I heard anybody say it. He said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians, and the worst argument for Christianity is Christians. It's a powerful statement. I'll say this. Got rid of it too soon. This is the worst. This is the worst argument for Christianity. An unraveled Christian. This is the best argument for Christianity. A believer who is wound tightly to Christ, where you can't see where one starts and the other lives. Where do you find yourself? We're all have to go through some unraveling process. And we've all been unraveled and we've all been single strands of rope. But what sits in front of us is we have the ability to change that. We have the ability to change that. We have the ability to bind together. Is it possible to grow your spiritual integrity? Is it possible to grow in your self-discipline to, to avoid the pull of self-interest, self-protection, and self-defense? The answer is yes. But your own strength in doing that will only take you so far. The type of integrity growth God is calling towards is to be bound and intertwined with Him. So, how's your integrity today? How's your integrity today? This is a, this is a graceful, this is a graceful way of God speaking to you in regard to your own spiritual integrity. And what are you gonna do with it? You, you can't have areas of your life that somehow you cordon off and say, God, you can have anything you want or do anything you want with me, but just not here. You can, been there, done that. I will tell you, it has a very slim shelf life. What do I mean? There's no, I'm miserable and there's no movement. When I say, God, you can do whatever you want except here and with this. 
Maybe you find yourself in a leaky position, a leaky position. Make your way back and keep your eye out and keep your eye out. So I'm gonna pray and I just, I don't, I really don't know. Sometimes I, I, I finish a, a message and I know exactly how to kind of lead the response time and other times I don't. And this is one of those times. I, I don't know how to lead the response time. Of course, we have communion to the left and right. Um, our fast, uh, you're in, entering in the last week of the fast or the last window of, of this opportunity. What's God doing inside of you? Have you given him enough time to speak? Or are you still blowing through January? He's dealt with me specifically around three things around how I lead that's been very, very helpful to me. I don't have time to break them down to you. I might at some point in time. Um, but it's because there's been, there's been time and openness to hear. And so however you want to respond today, just in worship, if you want to spend a moment at the altar and receive communion, I'm going to invite you to do that. Stand as we're going to at least worship. So Father, this is your place. These are your people. Lord, I understand that preaching is supposed to be persuasive. I don't know if I always achieve that. But I do understand it to be truth-telling. And that one I always want to get right. So Father, move in our hearts. I believe you've given us ears to hear today. Lord, give us a heart to respond. Lord, I pray for courage to those who are leading. Courage for all of us to step forward, to follow your voice, follow your open doors. Lord, you've placed us in circles that need spiritual leadership, that need spiritual integrity. Father, use us today. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.